We are continuing our study on I am the way, the truth, and the life. Out of John 14, Jesus declared that he himself is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him. In the simplest form of Christianity, we come to him to come to God. In fact, there's no other way. He is it. And as we begin to look at him, we find that not only do we come to God by him, we come to God through his work, by his work, and in him, that we, we have access unto the Father in Christ Jesus, that, that, that that's our access, is in him, by him, and through him. So he is who we are here to know. So today we're going to look at Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9 will be, you could say, the primary text, and, and I want to read that whole chapter, and then we'll look at several other places in our Bible. But in Hebrews 9, in the King James Version, Verse 1, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and the second veil, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant, overlaid it round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadow in the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present and which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So as we begin to break down Hebrews 9, and, and again, keep in mind, we're looking at the way. And in a short period of time, it'll be uh, plain to us, or should be plain to us, why we're looking at Hebrews 9. But here... He starts off, the writer of Hebrews, giving us in this chapter a description of the first covenant, its divine service, and its sanctuary, or tabernacle, or temple. And he says this is a figure. And the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest while this tabernacle was standing. And now, and I believe this speaks literal and spiritual. And what I mean by that 
I believe that the manifestation of what God had done in Christ came forth once that tabernacle had been dissolved, that first one had been dissolved. I, I know it come forth in the apostles' heart. They begin to see the new covenant before the old temple was taken off the earth. I know that. They became the first fruits of the new covenant. Of course, Jesus was the first fruit, but the apostles became the first fruits of the new covenant unto the Lord. And all this new was real. And we see that in the Apostle Paul's writings because he declares the new. But he says that this, the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Now, I believe Paul and the apostles were dwelling in the holiest of all. But it was not made manifest while, at first, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. And it was physically removed. So it wasn't standing after 70 AD because the Roman army came in and destroyed it. Now, to the best of my understanding, when this was written, it was standing. <laughs> so the way into the holiest of all, I believe, speaks of the access that Jesus gave us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and carried us in himself to the Father, that we, through him and in him, have access unto the Father. But till this tabernacle, this old system, is removed out of our hearts, now this is where I was wanting to make a clarifying statement, until this is removed from our hearts, we don't see the access. Or we don't understand the access that we have in Christ. Many of God's dear people live as if the first covenant is in force, or at least part of it. Not understanding that when Jesus died, the fullness and severity of his death, what it brought upon that first covenant. It, it finalized it, it fulfilled it, it brought it to its completion. Jesus was the completion of the ceremonial sacrifices. He was the completion of the priesthood. And he brought the use of that first temple to its end. And I know in his day that was, I guess, the second temple standing there or part of the second, I believe, that had been beautified or added to in the days of, of Herod. But having said that, its service was over. In Matthew 23, the Lord makes a statement that we as Christians, I believe, should understand. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 37. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I gather gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh 
in the name of the Lord. And then if I read over into 24, verse 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. So <laughs> to me, that was the end of God's glory in that old covenant temple. I, I don't believe it's ever going to return there again. I know there's ministers up on the earth that are looking for the order of that first temple to come back in the earth. But I believe Jesus is making a very powerful statement. Now your house is left to you desolate. And if you study the Bible, I believe you will understand that when that second temple was, was brought forth, I believe in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, that at least as far as I've seen, I don't see where that cloud of glory ever entered into that second temple that was brought forth in those days. The first one was destroyed under King Nebuchadnezzar, and then it was later rebuilt in troublesome times, as the scripture says. And I believe the glory entered it when Jesus did. Now, that's what I believe, that the glory of that latter tap temple, <laughs> its glory entered it. Who was Christ? The glory of God. So when he departed out of that temple, I believe its usefulness ceased. And coming back to Hebrews 9, glory to God, and verse 11, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made without hands, that is to say, not of this building. Well, if I, if I read verse 11 without reading verses 1 through 10, I may come up with an idea of what he's talking about, but if I read verses 1 through 10, I believe he's talking about the tabernacle and the temple that was constructed, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and later the temple that was constructed and built in Solomon, that the greater and more perfect tabernacle made with hands was not of this building, not of this building of the old covenant. And keep your place here in Hebrews 9. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. In Hebrews 3, it says in verse 4, it says, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony. Here again is this testimony, this figure of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, or are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, and here again is the Holy Ghost, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness. So here, Christ is a son over his own house. In Hebrews 9, he is the high priest 
of good things to come, not things that are still coming because they came in the end. He was the high priest of that, that good that was to come. That God declared through the prophets that in the latter days he was going to make a, another covenant with the house of Israel and their sins and iniquities would he remember no more. That was the good thing that was coming. But Christ is the high priest over it. I mean, there's much more if you go dig in the prophets of the good things to come. You know, there are teachers that say it's not necessary to read the prophets or to read the Old Testament. And I will say, how could it not be necessary when the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews, who I believe very well was probably Apostle Paul, the Peter, James, John, and, and, and Jude refer back to the law of the prophets. So the law and the prophets was a testimony of Jesus Christ. They are the pattern of the good things to come. They're a pattern. So in the offerings of the law and the prophets is a pattern. Jesus is not a pattern. I know people say Jesus is the pattern son. I don't necessarily believe that's true. I don't believe he's a pattern son. I believe he is the son. <laughs> he's the high priest of good things to come. See, through him as our high priest, these things that were to come came and are in effect and we realize them through him. For example, we are not gathered unto God in a building made with hands. We are, as the writer of Hebrews said, a house unto God, Christ as a son of his own house, whose house we are. Peter declares the same thing, that we are a spiritual house, that we're spiritual stones in the building. And the apostle Paul declares the same thing, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and that we are built up upon him, within him and upon him. Now this was the good thing to come, that, that we are now part of the building that God habitates. And in this building, there's no veil that's veiling us away from God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. In the old, there was a veil. And that's what the writer here in Hebrews is saying, is that there was a veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. And the high priest went in daily into the holy place. But one time a year, the high priest came into the holy of holies with blood, for himself and for the heirs of the people. And, the, and this signified that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest while the first tabernacle's standing. And I believe that understanding of the first tabernacle needs to be removed from our minds 
and and we and we have to understand the new. We have to understand what Jesus has done, what he's high priest of. Glory to God. Back in the verse 11, but Christ become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, or holy of holies, having obtained eternal, everlasting, complete redemption for us. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He paid it all. There's no more payment for sins under the first order. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more now? I believe that's a question. The word purge means to clean, make pure, removing all admixture. So our consciousness is made clean through Christ, through the blood of Christ. In his atonement. In his covering. And that word atonement means covering. When we are clothed upon by him, we have a clear conscience that we can access that which is in the presence of God. And we access that in Christ Jesus as we looked at last week. So he purged our conscience. He cleansed it in his blood. And we've looked at this for some weeks. What all has happened in the death of Jesus? I probably teach on that almost every week to a measure. Because in his death, we died with him. We died to sin. So we come to understand the judgment of his death, that we are dead with him. And that judgment becomes real in us. And then we confidently declare it in the earth that we're dead with him in all that he died to as we partake of him. We enter into that that he's done. In other words, that becomes alive to us. That becomes real to us. It's alive in our hearts that we're dead to sin, that sin no longer separates us from God, that the old man has been put away, and that we've come forth in a new creation in Christ Jesus, and that in Christ Jesus we have access unto the Father. That's what his ministry does. There's no separating veil in this new covenant temple because the veil of his flesh did away with that old separation, the separation that was in man that was separated from God. It did away with sin. It did away with the man of sin. Paul declared it 
he's crucified to the world and the world's crucified to him. Man, that's something to get a hold of. All of this was done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't die for us. Paul was not literally crucified for us, but he declares in Galatians and in Romans that he was crucified with Christ. <laughs> Nevertheless, he said he lives, but not him, Christ liveth in him. So he, he was living by apprehending that that God had done in Christ. And that's what he was talking about when he says he didn't frustrate the grace of God and that Christ liveth in him, not I, or, or that he liveth, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. So, the, so what he was living in the flesh was according to Christ who was being revealed in him by the Spirit. Hallelujah to the Lamb. This is the ministry of our high priest. This is the access we have that we can live unto God, not I, but Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered him without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <laughs> Maybe the answer to that question is not I, but Christ. Man, that's quite a purging. Because if I come to the understanding that it's not I that live, but Christ liveth in me, He has no condemnation in himself. He has no separation from God. In his heart and mind, I believe there's no separation from the Father. I believe he said the Father and I are one. I mean, that's a pretty good answer to how much more can the blood of Christ purge our conscience. I think that's a pretty good answer. From dead works. Now, the dead works I can see twofold here, and there may be more to it than this, but I can see it as the works under the law. They were dead works. The animal sacrifices were dead works. They could never give us access. They could never bring us into the presence of God. As long as that was standing, there was no access. There was a veil there. There was no access. Now, now, I believe those works may have also represented the condition of man. That man in his condition of being in sin didn't have access to God. And that those animal sacrifices could never give us access. But see, Christ is a high priest of good things to come, entered into the presence of God, bringing full assurance full access that you and I could enter into the presence of God with Christ as one with him. <laughs> Glory to the Lamb of God. And then verse 15 goes on and says, and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament or New Covenant, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of 
eternal inheritance, our inheritance in Christ Jesus. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is of force after that men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. I, I see this as a natural will, that it doesn't have a, any strength until, lit, until he that wrote it dies. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it has no strength at all, while the testator lives, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament or covenant, which God hath enjoined unto you. Jesus told his disciples, This is the new testament or new covenant in my blood hallelujah so now what his blood speaks is what we have access to not what moses not what the blood moses joined them to now now that was again a a figure a type and shadow of christ for the time that was present there are believers today that I hear, well, they say they're believers, that don't want to <laughs> believe Moses was fully hearing from God. I believe Moses was fully hearing from, from God, and that order was set forth in the earth as a type, as a figure, for that time. Until the time would come that the high priest it spoke of had come, who is Christ Jesus of the Lord, the Lord. And he came and he ministers to us the good things to come. The purging of our conscience. In type and shadow, I believe that's even seen there at, the, at Mount Sinai. And what do I mean by that? If you study, I believe in Exodus 19, I believe it's chapter 19. Moses tells them to put bounds around the mount that if even an animal touches it, I think it would be thrust through with a dart or with a spear. Now, I believe it's chapter 24 that Moses and 70 elders go up to see the God of heaven, and they look upon What changed between chapter 19 and chapter 24 in Exodus What changed was Moses sprinkled the people with blood. He joined them to blood. Then they had access to be among the presence of God. Still not to enter into it, but to be among it. Now, Jesus didn't just give us access to be among it. And we looked at this last week in John 14, how he declared that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. That's, a, that's around verses 9 through 12, somewhere around there in John 14. And he declared he was going to bring 
us to where he was. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He declares he's in the Father and the Father's in him. And then he declares when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to know that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me and you're in me. That, and, and I know I didn't say that 100% correct. That day you should know I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. Now we are where he is through his work, through Christ receiving us to himself and bringing us into the Father's house. We come on down here in verse 20 of Hebrews 9, back in Hebrews 9, saying, this, the blood of the New Testament, which God, or the blood of the Testament, which God had joined unto you. Now, like I said, we're joined by the blood of Christ to the new covenant. We're not joined to this old blood. That's the type and the shadow and the figure of that which was to come. We're joined to that which was to come, which Christ brought forth in his own blood. He's the way of that covenant, he brought it forth in his own blood. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens, the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these. Now, a question for you, what are the heavenly things that are purified? It's a question that you need to answer by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I'll tell you what I believe it is. I believe the heavenly things are the members of his body, because I believe Christ is the heavenly one. And if we've been born of God's Spirit, if we have been made partakers of the body of Christ, if we've been brought into the body of Christ, if in fact we are members of the body of Christ, I believe we are the heavenly things because he is heavenly. And Paul wrote in Corinthians that the that we have borne the image of the earthy. We were the body of Adam, the image of the earthy. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly with the body of Christ. So the things, the heavenly things are purified with the sacrifice of Christ. And he goes on and says, For Christ is not entered into holy places with hands, which are the figures of truth, of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So when the presence of God fills our midst, we're able to enter into it because Christ appears in the presence of God. And we are sanctified through him. Now we can come boldly, Paul writes, or the writer of Hebrews, to the throne of grace. We have access unto the Father through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then verse 25 says, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world 
But now once in the end of the world have he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of, of himself. And as it is appointed unto men to die, appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now I'm going to read a few of these verses in the Young's literal translation. Verse 23, 923, Young's literal translation declares, It is necessary, therefore, the pattern indeed of the things in the heavens to be purified with these, and the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For not into the holy places made with hands did the Christ enter, figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to be manifested in the presence of God for us, nor that he may many times offer himself even as the priest doth enter to the holy places every year with the blood of others. Since it had behooved him many times, since it had behooved him many times to suffer from the foundation of the world, but now once at the full end of the ages, the full end of the ages, for putting away of sin through his sacrifice. So he put away sin, at the end of the ages, he, he hath been manifested, Young's literal says, that for the putting away of sin through his sacrifice, he hath been manifested. So he's manifested at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then verse 27, and as it is laid up to men once to die and after this judgment, so also the Christ, once having been offered to bear the sins of many, so the Christ, as it was laid up for men, once to die, and after this, the judgment. The Christ took the judgment. So also the Christ, once having been offered to bear the sins. So the Christ, is offered as the sin offering to bear the sins. There's the judgment. The Christ is offered to bear the sins. The Christ is offered to bear the sins. Now, reading on verse 28, a second time apart from a sin offering shall appear to those waiting for him to salvation. So he's going to appear, the writer says, a second time, apart from a sin offering, to salvation. The word waiting here means to eagerly expect. Now, I know we read this and we say, well, he's going to appear the second time. The second time. Without sin under salvation, a lot of people are looking for Jesus to appear the second time. Now, I believe he's appeared in you and I under salvation, your new creation. How do you know you're a new creation? By his appearing. You're a new creation created of God in Christ Jesus. This is the salvation. You're not an old man in sin. Your new creation created of God in Christ Jesus. This is salvation. Old things have passed away. 
All things are new. This happened in his death, burial, and resurrection. In John 14, in John 14, Jesus says, verse 18, starting verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. So Jesus says, the world won't see me, but you will. That word means to look at, to gaze. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. When you look at him, when you gaze upon him, you'll know that he's in the Father. You And you and me and I and you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. The word disclose means to exhibit, appear in person, to declare. So he shall appear the second time without sin. And Jesus says that he will disclose, appear in person, declare himself to those who loves him and keeps his commandments. In John 14, look at this kind of together, Hebrews 9 and John 14. Now the word appear in Hebrews 9 means become seen, appear. Also means I am seen, let myself be seen. So like I said, in John 14, Jesus is declaring that verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose or appear to him, manifest myself to him, disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Now, why does Judas ask that question? Because Jesus said right before that, that after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And that those that love him, were he was going to disclose himself to them. And so Judas says, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it, Lord? How are you going to? Show yourself or disclose yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If any man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, will, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Here's how he's going to do it. My Father and I shall come and make our abode with him. You are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them, I'll walk in them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is how it's going to be. He discloses himself to us and not to the world. This is a very personal revealing of Christ. Now, I believe he corporately reveals himself, but he personally begins to reveal himself as we look for him 
as we turn our hearts, those that look for him, shall he appear the second without sin unto salvation. So he appeared in the first as the sin offering. Now he appears in the second unto salvation in the new covenant unto the salvation that has been worked in him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what he brings us into as a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We live unto God by him. I have several other scriptures I wanted to get to, but for time's sake, I won't. But I want to read to you just briefly in Hebrews 10, for the, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers perfect. They couldn't be perfect. Verse 2, for then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. This, this is a big issue. We should be living in a, in a present reality of what the Lord Jesus has done without the conscience of sins hanging over us because he took our sins and we died with him to sin. But because we don't understand that, because we haven't comprehended what he's done, Many Christians out here today struggle over and over in their heart. Is God satisfied with them? Well, here's the question. Is God satisfied with Christ? Does Jesus satisfy the Father? The answer to whether Jesus satisfies the Father is simple. Yes, he does. Well, if he's in us and we're in him, and our identities in Christ, not in ourselves. It's not I that liveth. Do you think God might be satisfied with us? Yes. If we comprehend what his blood did, that he purged us from the old works of the law, the old man of flesh, the carnal man, the carnal nature, everything that was in Adam, Jesus paid it off and brought us into himself baptized into his death, buried with him, and brought forth in his life. So we're brought forth unto the Father in the life of another. This life satisfies God. We are now well-pleasing in God's sight because we're in Christ, not because of who we are. <laughs> it's who he is. Now we begin to comprehend through him we are the body of Christ. So who we are, we are his body. We are members of him. We are joined by his spirit to him. Glory to God. And he presents us fully complete in himself. He presents us to God. We are presented to the Father in Christ Jesus Glory to God. Now, that's the covenant we're in. You talking about exciting that we have no separation. We're not separated from God. We have no condemnation. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Look at the work he did. He's the high priest of this. He did this work. Verse 9, then said, I, lo, I come in the volume of Though I come to do thy will, O God. He says below that, I come in the volume of the book to wait, take away sins. 
he take the way back in verse nine, then said, he lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He take the way the first that he may establish the second. Listen to this. He's established the second in himself. By the which will, his will, by God's will, by the will of Christ, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we're sanctified. And then in verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for it for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies made, be made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds, will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offerings for sin, because it was remitted in Christ. So there's no more offerings for sins. We comprehend simply what he did. Hallelujah. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he have consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So through his flesh, he made a way, he dedicated a way, he consecrated a way through the offering of his flesh, that we could come unto God in him. So that's how we come. We come through his death, his burial, his resurrection. And he, and this is a new and living way. This living way is by the spirit, not through the letter. And I guess this is where we'll have to look at next week because the letter killeth, the second Corinthians three and the spirit gives life. So we don't come through the letter. We come through the Spirit. This new covenant is a covenant through the Spirit. It's written in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And through Him we have access. He's the way into the holiest of all. The holiest of all is God Himself. It's not just some temple in the Middle East. My Lord... We have access through our Lord Jesus Christ in him unto the Father. Well, glory to God. May he richly enlighten our hearts, our minds. May we see clearly by the Spirit of God, and may we declare him. May we declare the Lord Jesus to the earth. Blessings, and God bless you. Amen.